one and welcome to Behold, the podcast where we cast our all-seeing eye over the world of comic book adaptations and try to sort the super from the substandard. Who is we? Well, I'm your host Andrew and as usual I'm joined by my co-host Mick. You run. Oh, Lurch, could you go get Mick for me? It's time to do the podcast. Hello. Oh, that that went better than expected. <laughs> I definitely had my money on it being one of the numerous Adams family characters who don't actually speak. <laughs> what? Just me doing that to be thing? Yes, that or some kind of weird hairy squeaking noise. What? Yeah, my Snoop Dogg impressions aren't that good. Anyway, yes, if, if you haven't guessed, and to be fair, you you might not have, uh, this week we're going to be beholding Wednesday, even though we're recording this on Saturday evening. It was first suggested on a Tuesday. Right, we've done, we can tick that joke off now. Yeah. So, Wednesday, this is the 2022 Netflix series created by Alfred Goff and Miles Miller and based on characters created by Charles Adams. Those characters being, of course, the Adams family. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know You're in a series of strips from uh, about 1927 onwards in the New Yorker. Yep, so we are... That this might be our most technically a comic comic. Yes. But yes, I think I think this is possibly the furthest we've stretched our definition yet. Yes, but I think you know sometimes it's important to to challenge norms and spread your horizons, and it definitely wasn't just that like we wanted to watch Wednesday and needed an excuse to talk about it. That's right. It had nothing to do with that at all. And it also had nothing to do with the fact that we'd been disappointed by Tim Burton over the recent years and wanted desperately for something to be good. Yeah, well, I didn't actually realise it was Tim Burton who did it until, like, the end of the first episode. Oh. Which, which was a surprise. Well, it wasn't to me, because I knew Tim Burton was doing it. Because I did my research before. Okay, Honestly, you. you're such an amateur. You, you and your old-fashioned ways of doing things. Well, you know. So, Mick, what are your thoughts on the Adams family? Well, I, I kind of grew up. It was a staple for me when I was a kid. Um, on reruns, obviously. Um, the Adams family with... Uh, Former Riddler, Frank Gorshin as Gomez Adams. Um, Carolyn Jones, if I remember right, as um, Morticia. Who, she kind of defined the whole Morticia look. Um, and Wednesday and Pugly, Pugsley were kind of almost second. They were there for the cutesy five-year-old comeback that had a sort sort of dark twist because of the macabre setting of um, the Adams family. But generally speaking, the stories tended to centre around Gomez, Morticia, Lurch and Festa. Yes, I think that's been fairly consistent across versions of the Adams family. Um, I think think Wednesday herself didn't really become a major character until the 1992 um, Adams Family film. Uh, Was it 92 or 91? Somewhere around Uh, there. 91, I believe, for the original Adams Family. And then that was closely followed by the Adams Family values. And again, uh, Christina Ricci uh, really sort of stole the show as Wednesday in in those two films. Yeah, and those films were also followed by, much more importantly, 
the Adams Family cartoon series. Which is how I got into the Adams Family. Now you see, there was also, I believe, an Adams Family cartoon series that but there was a period in the late sixties and early seventies where live action TV shows got cancelled and then continued their run in cartoon form. They did it with Star Trek, they did it with Tarzan, they did it with the Adams Family. Yeah, I guess was it just cheaper to do it as an animation? Well, certainly in in in, in the case of Star Trek and Tarzan, it certainly was because Filmation, the series, uh, the the people who made that series and who later did the New Adventures of Batman, featuring Batmite, um, they were the masters of cut and paste animation. They yes, I I do remember that. Of script over, over the same mouth movements. Yes, actually, I always remembered that Star Trek cartoon. Yeah. And just any episode where they had to swim, and it was just the upper bodies were stock still, and there was yeah. just like a little wobble of the legs. Yeah. Over the same scenery, just repeating over and over. Yeah. Um, and that was the same in Tarzan. Um. And 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 they tend they did tend to make the episodes about ten minutes long because they had such massive intros recapping the entire story of what had gone before. Uh, but they did they did it of course with Planet of the Apes, but that was more uh, because Planet of the Apes had become so expensive to produce that they they did it in animated form. But yeah, so Adam Family has has been cartooned. Um, and of course, recently there's been the um, 3D animated Adams families, and they've they've Wednesday has kind of taken a leap out of their book because Gomez has returned to his roots um, in that Raúl Julia and Frank Gorshin played uh, a sort of charismatic, suave, good-looking fella that Morticia had been swept off her feet by when. In actual fact, the child, uh, the the Gomez Adams from the the original New York cartoons was quite grotesque and um, wasn't the best looking fella in the school. Um, and yeah, exactly. He's supposed to kind of look like in the horror film when the characters check into you know the the rundown motel. Yeah, he's, he's the creepy like the only member of staff in charge of it. Yeah, he's kind of like the eagle from Young Frankenstein in the comic strip. <coughs> um, and and that's why he does all the charm. That's why he learns sword fighting. He's doing all these suave and sophisticated things because he's doing that to overcome the fact that he can't just woo women with his innate good looks um, and athletic physique. So yes, I think basically yeah. original Gomez Adams is a very nice guy who seems quite creepy, whereas, especially Raul Julia Gomez-Adams, is a very nice-seeming guy who's actually completely insane. Yeah. And there's also the intimation that some of their activities are a bit sort of gangster-esque. And that's where the money comes from for the the family. Um, So, yeah, so this, this one is kind of um, closer to the, certainly in terms of the live action uh, pieces, it's it's closer to that Adams family in the cartoons than, than the original um, live action versions. So that's that's my knowledge of the Adams family. It's been with me part of, it's been with me for my whole life. Um, and that probably explains quite a lot about how my life turned out. Yes, I mean, I, I definitely feel like I can probably draw a fairly straight line from all the weird, creepy horror things I'm into now to just the Adams Family. Yeah. Because how would... If anyone listening is unfamiliar with the Adams Family, Mick, um, do, do you know is there a way to maybe kind of succinctly so, summarise what they're all about? Well, I, I, would, I would summarise them as being um, a little creepy. And maybe mm-hmm. kooky, mysterious, 
and uh, spooky. In fact, they're all together ooky, the Adams family. Interesting. Yes, I mean, that is the, kind of, the most famous thing about the Adams family is the theme tune. Yeah. <laughs> now, so, final question before the synopsis. Yes. Did you have a favourite member of the Adams family? What, when I was a kid? I mean, or as the... a kid now. Well, I, I mean, uh, Cousin It was always a, a joy when he turned up. <gasps> Cousin It was also my favourite. My missus, who has very long hair, when the mood takes her, flips it forward, puts on sunglasses and a hat, and becomes Cousin It. Oh, fantastic. That's literally my biggest regret about having inherited maple pattern boldness is I can't do it because of it. Yes. So yeah, cousin cousin it was all the, the, the best episodes were always the ones where cousin it came to visit. Yeah. Which is also convenient because we can just skip the synopsis, go straight to the ranking. Cousin it does not appear in this zero out of ten bottom of the list. Yes he does. Does he? Yes. When? Or does he not? No, it's because at about the same time as I was watching Wednesday, I watched the animated versions and he's voiced by Snoop Dogg in the animated version. The latest animated version. Oh, now the intro makes more sense. I got confused with which Adams families I was watching. So I presume you synopsize away now. I'm sure Cousin It will make his presence felt in season two, which has been announced. Indeed, which I know a Netflix series having, you know, more than one season before it's abruptly cancelled. Well, that that depends on how the allegations against Percy Hines White turn out. Ah, no. Yes. Hollywood actors, stop it. I know. That's fine. We can just like recast him with a particularly willowy bit of wood. It'll be fine. <laughs> right. So, full spoilers ahead, especially for Mick, apparently. Oh, no, no, no. Uh, I'll, uh, all it'll do is straighten out which bits of plot are stuck in my head from which place. Okay, well, pay attention then. Yes. So, Wednesday Adams, played by Jenny Ortega, is expelled from school after dumping piranhas into the swimming pool as revenge on her brother's bullies. Wednesday's parents, Morticia, Catherine Zeese-Jones, and Gomez, played by Louise Guzman, uh, enroll her at Nevermore Academy, a private school for outcasts run by Principal Weems, played by Gwendolyn Christie. Uh, Wednesday's cold as the grave demeanour initially puts her at odds with the rest of the school but she slowly begins to make friends these include her werewolf roommate Enid, played by Emma Myers and beekeeper Eugene played by Musa Mustafa uh, these do not include Rowan Callum Ross a telekinetic student who tries to murder Wednesday before being killed by a mysterious monster Wednesday begins investigating this monster with the help of Thing, Victor Dorabantu, a disembodied hand. Uh, in the process, she learns that Rowan tried to kill her as a prophecy in a book shows Wednesday in front of a burning Nevermore. She also grows close to Tyler, played by Hunter Dewan, the son of a local sheriff. As her investigation continues, Wednesday learns the monster is called a Hyde and that it has a master controlling it. She suspects that her classmate Xavier, played by Percy Hines White, is the Hyde, and that his master is Laurel Gates, whose brother once tried to kill Wednesday's parents, and is posing as a therapist Dr. Kinbot, played by Ricky Lindhome. However, Dr. Kinbot is murdered, and when Wednesday kisses Tyler, 
she receives a psychic vision that he is actually the Hyde. Wednesday and Principal Weems confront botany teacher Marilyn Thornhill, Christina Ricci, who is the real Laurel Gates. Laurel kills Weems and kidnaps Wednesday, using her psychic powers to help revive her outcast-hating ancestor, Joseph Crackstone, played by William Houston. Uh, Crackstone begins to burn the school, but Wednesday confronts him, fulfilling the image in the prophecy. Wednesday is able to destroy Crackstone with the help of Xavier and her former rival Bianca, played by Joy Sunday, who really sounds like she should be some kind of like alternate universe version of Wednesday. <laughs> like a, the anti-Wednesday. The anti-Wednesday is Sunday. Exactly. <laughs> uh, meanwhile, Enid transforms into a wolf for the first time and is able to subdue Tyler. Laurel then tries to shoot Wednesday, but is swarmed by bees under the control of Eugene. With the crisis over, the students are sent home for the rest of the semester. But on her way home, Wednesday has sent a mysterious death threat. And that's the first series of Wednesday. Indeed. Yep, it was good. I liked it. I liked it a lot. Um, there is one downside to Wednesday, though. Well, I mean, I think there are probably a, a few downsides, as we'll get into. There are two main <laughs> downsides to to, to Wednesday. Um, Catherine Zeta-Jones as Morticia should have been better than it was. Yeah, she just didn't quite have the right something yeah, about her. Yeah, and I am so sick and tired of 15 bazillion people not being Jenna Ortega doing the dance. Oh. Yeah. Because that, that dance scene is great. But it's all yeah. the internet kids want to do it now. Yeah. And as I say, you know, there's a certain there's a certain joy in watching General Ortega do that dance in the series with absolutely no ounce of joy on her face. Yes, just complete deadpan. <laughs> <laughs> Especially as she deadpan does the mashed potato. I know. <laughs> Just brilliant. Um, but of course, the people who do it on TikTok kind of don't get that bit. They don't get that element. It's out of context. You know, it, it loses something when it's not set against that whole white-themed prom setting, you know. Yeah. I know. I'm, I'm absolutely shocked that something from a TV series has been taken out of context and completely misunderstood by people on the internet. The same group who made a real-life Squid Game. Yeah. The internet's bad, isn't it? Yes. Welcome to our podcast, Old Man Yell About TikToks. <laughs> you know, I, my generation gets blamed for a lot of bad things, but I think the worst thing we ever did was the internet. You're right, it was a terrible mistake. I mean, for one thing... All those endless podcasts I know. of giving their opinion on shit. So yeah, um, so that that's my two back down points about the series. Um, I really enjoyed it. It was it was modern enough to feel different, and and there were enough nods to the to the past to keep you with that little nostalgia dopamine circulating. Yeah, because I, th I think with this, it's very much in the same sort of loose mould as Riverdale where it's we're taking something that's essentially a PG franchise and ageing it up a bit to make it, you know, like a teen murder mystery thing. Yeah. But 
I think with the Adams family, it's something that very easily slots into it. Because yeah. really, a lot of the darker stuff is in the Adams family. It's just, you know, not explicitly said like it is in this one. Yeah, and I think I think the beauty with it is it allows it to have a little bit of a play with some of the tropes of of genre fantasy as well. So there's a lot of pop culture nods to classics. Um, there's a, a very heavy nod towards Carrie at the prom night. Um, oh yes, I, I do like that subversion of the whole Wednesday gets coated in blood and she's just having a whale yeah. of a time. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so there's that. Uh, there's the whole secret society at the school thing that gets turned on its head. Um, yeah. Also, one of my favourite a fanboy moment when they discover the secret chamber and how to get into it. It is. I think it's also one of my favourite lines from Wednesday. That is when she gets kidnapped by the secret society and it's like. Well, there's a bag over my head. My hands are tied behind me. This is my kind of party. <laughs> yes. It's all good stuff. Um, uh, Gwendolyn Christie is austere in a brilliant kind of way. Um, and... Also, in some scenes, appears to be twenty-seven feet tall. Oh, I, I, I think it's a combination of she is very tall, and Jenny Ortega is very small. So whenever they're in a scene together, it's hilarious. <coughs> it looks like they're in one of those rooms that that forces perspective. Yeah, like um, I, actually, that's. That's one of my big complaints about this series is why does Principal Ween simply try and tell Wednesday to come back to school with her when she could just pick her up and stick her in her pocket? Well, yeah, there is that. Um, I think that there's not... I think the one thing that's lacking for me, it's good at world building the school. And it, it kind of does a little bit of um, building up the, the norms. Um, but it's not great at building up the town very much. There's a few key characters, families that get a bit of background, but beyond that, it's just a a normal sort of everyday this is the town that the school's in type environment. Yes, I think that was probably the biggest complaint for me, is it had a bit of what I like to think of the Harry Potter problem, where they've clearly come up with this concept of, oh yeah, it's like a school, and you know there's different monsters and they're kind of roughly like, you know cliques and social groups but then it's kind of not very well fleshed out. Like, what's the world outside that like? Yeah, and it, it's not like it, it doesn't impact on the world outside. The psychiatrist is based in the town. Um, obviously, the sheriff patrols the town. There's a lot of talk about the town not liking the academy because of all the weird shit that goes on. Yeah, but then there's things like, I mean, I think you can get away with it in the Adams family because it's, you know, just a light comedy thing. Yeah. But in this, because it's a bit more serious, it does seem a bit weird. That, like, so do the townspeople know that some of the students at Nevermore are like vampires and werewolves? Or do well, they just think they're a it. bit weird? They all know they're a bit weird. They don't seem to be at all worried about how weird they might be when, you know, people are... But I guess the, the sheriff is playing his part in covering them up and stuff like that and saying it's a bear attack and stuff like that. But, yeah, it, it, in in a film like The Adams Family, 
or adam's family value you can kind of understand it because you've only got a limited time to tell your story but this hasn't got that problem it, it's got the breathing space to maybe expand on the town a little bit rather than just key characters within it yeah and i think with the film as well you can say oh well, well the reason that the normal town folk aren't aware of vampires and things is because it's more funny when they think that the adams family are just like these weird uh what, what's going on with this creepy witch lady and a psychopath daughter yeah But yeah, it's also the whole thing with hides was very confusing to me as well. Really? Yeah, because I, I don't understand like if so so Tyler is the hide because his mother was a hide. Yeah. But his mother went to Nevermore. And no one at any point ever puts these things together. It it seems like it should have been a very easy mystery to sort out. Then he did Velma. Oh no, let's not Velma. No. <laughs> Dinky, no, let's not go. Um, yeah, I mean, I think. The um, there's clearly been some kind of suppression of something somewhere along the line, um, and maybe we'll find out something in season two that explains it. But yes, there does seem to be a little bit of a plot hole in terms of that understanding of the relationship between the town and. Nevermore, Nevermore Academy. I mean, at some point, someone gave planning permission for that place to be built. Because the intimation is that the town's been there since the Quakers settled. Yeah, it's... Uh, the Academy's been there for a long time as well, so you think... By that point, they would have maybe got used to it. Yeah, it's it's odd. But that all said, I think it does mark a return to form for Tim Burton. Yes, I think this is definitely Tim Burton making characters who are creepy in a way that's very endearing again and yes. not just what fancy wig can i put johnny depp in this time yeah yeah because that's where it all seemed to go wrong didn't it when every tim burton film suddenly had helena bonham carter and johnny depp in yeah which reminds me i did spend the first three episodes of this trying to spot the helena bonham, bonham carter but i think she just wasn't in this that's right which I'm, I'm just so flabbergasted that she wasn't Morticia Adams. Well, to be fair, I believe her and Tim have separated. So. Oh, well, that explains it then. <laughs> so, yeah, I don't think her and Tim are together anymore. Right, so that's why she's just off doing sofa adverts right. now. I mean, I'd buy a sofa with Helen and Ronald Carter on it. Yeah. Unfortunately, I don't think that's a very sustainable business model. It's not. Once you've sold that sofa that she sat on, you've got no more with Helen and Ronald Carter on. Yeah. I mean, I guess you could get Gwendolyn Christie and she, see if she could turn into Helena Bottom Carter. But again, once you've sold that one... Yeah, there's, there's definitely supply there chain problems there. There is definitely a supply chain problem on that business model. But, yeah, so... Um, so I suppose we ought to talk about General Ortega and her portrayal of Wednesday. I mean, can you imagine, right, the pressure... Of you walking on a set 
as a student at Nevermore Academy, and the person who they've cast as your uh, crypto botany teacher is the very definitive Wednesday Adams for a whole generation. Yeah, I mean, basically, Christina Ricci is kind of the reason this show got yeah. made. Because people love her as Wednesday yeah. Adams. Well, like, well when, when the show got first announced, and it said uh, Christina Ricci uh, signs up for Wednesday Reboot, I'm thinking, how are they going to work that one? Is it like Wednesday as a mum? Or <laughs> has she taken up the mantle of Morticia? Or... But I think it's quite... It's quite nice that she's there on hands to sort of hand over the reins, because I, I do think that, that Jenna has made this part of role. She plays it superbly. Oh, yeah, she yeah. is. She's fantastic. Yes. Just that, that girl knows you know, how to glare. The only person I think who I've seen glare better than that is Daphne Keane when she played um, X-23 in Logan. Oh, could you imagine the two of them just having, like, a stare-off? Oh, man. Can you imagine a remake of Mean Girls with those two in it? Yes. And it's even more violent than the original. <laughs> I, I mean, now, oh. you, you've made me dream this for season two now, Mick. <laughs> the Wednesday Adams X-23 crossover. Holiday special. But yeah, she's she's really good. I think what she manages to do incredibly well that I think can fall flat for characters like this is that she can like do the difference between deadpan and flat. Yes. I, I, I think the other thing is she she in no way comes across as trying to do an impression of Christina Ritchie's Wednesday. Yeah, she's still very much her she, interpretation. She's she definitely made the part hers. Um, in the same way that Christina did back in the 90s. She's great. Do you know who else I think is really great in this? Uh, Victor on. Dorabantu. Considering that all we see of him is a single hand. Yes, and but this is this is the thing about the thing. The thing's always got to be good. There's no good having a poor thing. In indeed, your thing's got to be expressive. And if your thing's not expressive, given the limitations of just being a hand then your Adam's family project is, is doomed to failure and mockery. Because thing is, <coughs> it's one of the fundamental things that people will expect. So if you, if you think about the Adam's family movies, the people look to who's playing Gomez, how tall is Lurch, Who's playing Uncle Fester? Who's playing um, Morticia? Who's playing Wednesday? No one asks about Pugly. But everybody wants to see a good thing. Yeah. And, and I'm so glad that they... Because I believe what they just did is that's like Victor's hand and then they've just kind of green screened out the rest of him rather than trying to do just here's a CGI hand. Yeah. Yeah. Because I think you would lose a lot of the charm that you get in this. Yes, and I think I think that's traditionally what they have always done. I, th I think they did that with the original nineties um, movies. I think that was a loose group. They they might have done sort of some touch ups with CGI, as rudimentary as the CG would have been back then. But I think the bulk of it was a man in a blue screen 
So running around. Yeah, which I, I really want to see the behind the scenes footage of this now. <laughs> there are some clips, I think, doing the round. Oh, good way. of just him like running around a train station, just like running his hand along the floor. Yeah. <laughs> Yes, I just, I just love the way it like scuttles. Yeah, it's great, and the, the the fact that he puts the brakes on and all sorts of stuff. The the, the manual gymnastics, the thing, are, are a joy to behold. It is because it's, and it, 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 it's the important thing. The reason you've got to get it right is because the thing is a character. He's not just a disembodied hand. He is actually. Okay. Yeah, exactly. He has like little quirks and little expressions. <coughs> he will go up in a sulk. Yeah, I mean, basically, you know that you've done the thing right when I'm generally concerned this this disembodied hand has been stabbed. Yes. Yeah, that's that's definitely a good sign that it's a good thing. Also, other signs that it's a good thing are if it's orange and covered with rocks or can shapeshift into possibly members of an Antarctic, no, Arctic research team. There are too many the things. Yeah. Anyway. Anyway. Do you know who else I enjoyed, even though he's only in one episode? Who else did you enjoy? I enjoyed Fred Armisen as Uncle Fester. Yes. Because he's nice, because he's just, he's one of those actors who kind of pops up in everything and he's always quite delightful. Because yeah. he's just got that very distinctive and again, face and a very distinctive voice. And again, Uncle Fester's a, a character who has to be likable. He really has. <laughs> yes, he has to be both likable and very weird. And he is both of those things. Yeah. Indeed. I just, I just uh, love his like covert getaway vehicle. Yes. The Dalmatian motorbike. And I like the, I like Louis Louis Guzman as um, Gomez. Yeah, good. He's. Not like we were saying before, he's got that kind of weird... It's almost sort of bug-like, I think. Yeah. And it's... There are some aspects of the character that... I don't remember seeing him... Um, sort of chain-smoking cigars, which has always been a thing for Gomez. To the point where Frank Gorshin, Frank Gorshin in the 60s TV series, um, in a health and safety nightmare that would never be allowed now, his suit jacket had an asbestos pocket so that he could keep lit cigars in it. Oh, good. Well, well, you've got to be safe, Mick. You don't want him burning his jackets. <laughs> well, that was the thing with Gomez. He always had a cigar to hand. Yes. So that does remind me of one of my favourite out-of-date supervillains, which is that the Human Torch oh, yeah. did have an arch-enemy called the Asbestos Man. Did he? He did. Not for very long, I though. Those, I, I bet those two got on like a household fire. Oh! Uh, hey, you're welcome. I'm here all week. Try the fish. Yeah. I mean, really, just really... most people in this, I like them a lot. I really like the poor cook. Oh, yes, that, that whole episode I, was I'm, just... I'm going to try and introduce that to Dex, the poor cook. Oh, with the completely lax health and safety rules on yes. taking our opponents. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the poor cook was great fun. And I, I, I like the fact that um, Wednesday's visions aren't some kind of, like, automatic superpower they're really inconvenient like they take her out take her out of action for the entire duration of the vision usually at a key moment 
Yeah, I, I like I like that they don't just do the typical thing of just everyone stops while the main character has a vision. Yeah, everything else carries on around her. <laughs> and then one of them will notice that she's not there and go, oh, what? When was this? Yeah, turns out she's just been like lying in the middle of a forest for five minutes. Finding out crucial elements to the plot, if only she could figure out what they meant. She should just skip to the last episode. Oh, yeah. Actually, I should probably mention that was maybe a thing that worked against me for the, well, definitely a thing that worked against me for the main plot, is I did accidentally know going on in that Christina Ricci was the main villain. Well, I mean, the thing is, You could kind of get it anywhere because it's the kind of casting that you only give to either a major protagonist or a major antagonist. You wouldn't just have her playing a random teacher in the school, would you? Yeah, I mean, I think they maybe could have passed it off as, oh, it's, it's just, just got a small role as just a nice little nod to the original films. Yeah. She she wanted us to squeeze her in somewhere. Yeah, but no, I because I'll be honest, I didn't realise before I started watching it that it was like a, a whole murder mystery thing. No. But but it, it's fine, I think. It didn't necessarily impact my enjoyment of it. No, it's a very enjoyable thing. And of course, even if you don't enjoy it, it's still worth watching for the dance. Yeah, I mean, yeah, but maybe if you're not a Wednesday fan, just watch that one dance sequence and then <laughs> go away, stare in the mirror and have a good long talk with yourself about what are you doing not being a Wednesday fan. Yeah. But please don't make a TikTok. No, no, please don't. Anyway. Especially to a completely different song. Oh, is it? But but is that not no, just 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 let it be, Andrew. I feel I feel like I'm gonna ask questions and the answers I don't want to know with them. Well um, in in the series she does the dance to I believe a song called Goo Goo Muck. Yeah, something like that probably. By the cramps, I think. But on all the TikToks, it's um, some remix of a Lady Gaga hit. I don't know, Mick. The the youths, the the ways are unknown to us. The young people with that. They're not all just young people, though. Some of them have brought their mothers in. Okay, mothers of TikTok people. If you know what's going on, answers on a postcard. Oh, like the TikTok people know what a postcard is. No, but the TikTok mothers might, Mick. I doubt it. Oh, well. I like the bit where Eugene's... I'll wager you're too old for the TikToks. Yes, I I am. I'm I'm one of the olds now, Mick. <laughs> anyway, I like the bit where Eugene summoned a load of bees. Yes. Cause I just I think that might be objectively the best way to take down any bad guy, is just throw loads of bees at them. Yeah. I also liked it because that kind of the whole Hummers plot seemed to kind of dwindle away into nothing for a while, didn't it? Yeah, because halfway through the series, Eugene gets attacked by the Hyde and basically spends up until the last episode in hospital 
So it did for yeah. a bit kind of seem, you know, what was all that about then? Why have you introduced us to this character who is blatantly pointless? But no, he wasn't. And, and I liked yeah. that it kind of meant that a lot of Wednesday's sort of growth was based more around realising that she actually likes her friends rather than just, ooh, but which of one of these boys do I want to smooch? Yeah. Which I feel and like I, would be the typical kind of young adult way to do things. And it, 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 it comes across that her, her character growth isn't that she wants to be liked by these people. It isn't that she wants to belong. She she doesn't want to be an outsider anymore. Which these these kind of shows tend to veer towards the outsider becomes accepted. That's not it in in this case. It's almost like she realizes that these outsiders need her to help protect them, so that they can stand for themselves and rise up and be who they want to be. It's not about wanting to be liked or having lots of friends and influence and stuff. Yeah, because I feel like that definitely would be kind of the equivalent of saying, hey, you know, Wednesday, you'd be pretty (laughs) if you smiled more. The, The other thing is, did you find yourself having to look away sometimes when the siren was looking at you? on the screen because those eyes were a bit disconcerting oh they <laughs> I, I don't like her eyes they they freak me out a bit that's especially because i noticed this show does seem to have a habit of like it does a certain shot whenever someone's talking where it's just like very yeah. zoomed in on their face and every time Joy Sunday's on screen with just a big, like, glassy blue eyes, it's so... That siren's for you, I guess. Yeah, I, I don't know if it's just, like, because she has quite big eyes, or if it's the specific colour, but it's something. I think it's a combination of the two. They're, they're abnormally big eyes. <laughs> And there are on the there's a lot of unnatural colour there. But yeah, it's it's certainly very effective. But yeah, overall. Yeah. Overall the effects are good. I noticed that the Gorgon keeps his hat on a lot. Because that's gonna be an expensive effect. Oh yeah. But I did like I did like that scene where he doesn't turn up for his day. See, I, I don't know, because I, I think we might be tripping towards Andrew's nitpick corner again. Because it's really? just, if you've got a school specifically set up for these monster people, and you know that the Gorgons yeah. are a like, subset of that, and there's there's quite a few of them, it's not like there's just the one Gorgon. You think they put up a special Gorgon changing? Yeah, or like a just a mirror, but it's inside a little cabinet. But no, it's literally just a normal bathroom, and he just has to like shove a towel over the mirror. It's just it's asking for problems, Mick. <laughs> I'm just saying, if I was doing an inspection of that school, that would be a big mark against it. You don't think it would pass its Ofsted report on the basis that it didn't have inclusivity-friendly changing rooms for its Gorgon students? No, definitely not. And also maybe because of all the murders, but mainly that one. (laughs) So yeah, they're they're unusually for a comic book-based TV show. There's not a huge criticism of the special effects yeah no these ones actually look good like i was thought the kind of fight between enid as a werewolf and tyler as a hide that was actually quite well done for a cgi slugfest yeah i think it definitely helped that it took place at the middle of the night well there is that yeah um but all those all those sequences all those fight sequences 
were were really well done. Um, yeah, I think I think it's because there oh, was yeah. you know that kind yeah. of level of practicality to a lot of things as well. I struggled to figure out. Well, it wasn't that I struggled. One thing that didn't become clear to me was the fireplace in the principal's office. Why was it in the shape of a gorgon? Um, you know what? Maybe that's it. See, the, the thing is, Principal Weems is very forgetful sometimes. So she built a fireplace in the shape of a gorgon to remind her that she needs to get special mirrors for the gorgon students. But then, you know, she's going to start getting on it but then some other things came up and you know how it is. Eventually you just kind of stop noticing that the fireplace is a gorgon and it just completely slipped her mind. I mean, it could have just been that the first principle of the academy was a gorgon. That'd be a simpler explanation. No, that's even worse. Why didn't the gorgon headmistress put the special mirrors in? I mean, it depends on how long the school's been there. I mean, the Gorgon headmistress might have been there at a time where there was no need for changing rooms because they didn't do sports. But surely she still has to shower in the morning. don't know, 16th, 17th century? I don't think they had schools in America in the 17th century, did they? I'm, try I'm trying to remember whether they had America. 1776, it became independent, didn't it? 1670 something, the Mayflower first set sail. So yes, they did have it. They did have America in the 17th century. Just well. Also, thinking about it, if we just do some, aha, there are surely. It's Nevermore Academy, so it's got to have been founded sometime after 1845, because that Edgar Allan Poe wrote The Raven. Ah. Possibly. Or was Edgar Allan Poe a student at Nevermore Academy, and that's why The Raven calls, says Nevermore? Ah. Why else would they have the poor cup? Maybe, maybe that's it. Maybe they're just honouring their most successful student. Could be. Oh, there you go. See, this kind of analysis is what people listen to the show for. No, they listen to the show because it's two blokes who know nothing about what they're talking about blithering on for an hour. I actually met a listener the other day. You did? Sorry, a listener. Yeah. Wait, did, did you run away as fast as you could? No, no, no. I, 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 I took note of their um, experience of Behold. Um, the exact uh, thing was um, I was a bit tired. So I went to bed and listened to two blokes blathering on about comic book adaptations. I can't remember what they were talking about, and then I woke up. I mean, as reviews go, it's not great. Well, I... No, no, I think it's something. So, yeah, hello and welcome to Behold, your next best sleep, <laughs> sleep aid podcast. <laughs> Gently drift off to sleep with the sound of two blathering idiots just going on and on and on. We've done it, Mick, we found the niche. <laughs> Behold, Insomniacs, the new superhero team.
Anyway, should we rank Wednesday? I, I think we should rank Wednesday. We should put us somewhere between Tuesday and Thursday. Oh, the the joke is back. We managed to do it twice. Can't be a callback. Well, it was just in case any of our listeners had fallen asleep at the beginning. <laughs> oh, wow. The, the show really is potent then. <laughs> Listen to Behold, and within seconds you'll find yourself drifting off. So, yes, Wednesday, that is going on our ranking list of TV shows. Yeah. Which uh, goes from The Sandman at number one, all the way down to Inhumans at 31. You know, every time we do one of these TV ones, I always forget that we did Inhumans. And it always gives me a little chuckle just to see it at the bottom there. I mean, I, I, I think ABC do the same thing where they look through their roster of programmes they've made. Actually, I have seen a few videos and things of people talking about the Inhumans, and apparently on Disney Plus you've got to, like, specifically search for it. Like, it will never come up. Like, for any of the Marvel stuff, it's just a you might oh, also man. want to watch. <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine how disappointed you'd be if you went to the effort of searching for it, found it, and then watched it? Yes, because we did. I mean, to be fair, I didn't go looking for it. It was happening at the time. Actually, yeah, I, I suppose we had it inflicted upon us. We did not set out with the hope and the dream of watching Inhumans. No. We, dear listeners, watched it so that you didn't have to. God, can you imagine if you were a fan of the Inhumans? If if such a thing existed and you heard that a TV show was being made about them? A fan of the Inhumans? Isn't that just someone who can't afford X-Men comics? Yes, exactly. If you, if you didn't get X-Men comics where you grew up for some reason. <coughs> Poundland X-Men. Anyway, we're ranking Wednesday. Yes. So, not to be too presumptuous, but just to run through our top ten. Like I said, we've got Sandman at number one, Mm -hmm. Moon Knight at number two, Peacemaker at number three, WandaVision at four, Jessica Jones season one at five, Boys season two at six, Werewolf by Night at seven, Ms. Marvel at eight, She-Hulk at nine, and Sweet Tooth at ten. I think I would rank this above Werewolf by Night. But below Boy Season 2? Actually, no, probably above Boy Season 2. Okay, I, I could get behind that. What, what about <laughs> Jessica Jones? Jessica <laughs> Ah, you see, I've got a soft spot for Jessica Jones. And and that's Series 1. Series 1 was the strongest season of Jessica yeah, Jones. Some people might say the only good series of Jessica Jones. Ah, yeah, 3 was alright. 2 was a bit... Meh. Yeah, I mean, the, the problem is that there's some people uh... who say that are me, who watched Series 2 and then maybe like the first episode, a couple of episodes of 3 and then stopped. <laughs> I mean, even season two, it was no Iron Fist. I mean, let's be fair. Yeah, but I mean, that's a that's a low bar, isn't it? Which, again, yeah. just to circle back, Inhumans didn't even clear that. <laughs> Can you imagine the goal to be worse than Iron Fist? Do you know what the mo- do you know what the most disturbing thing that I came across whilst watching Wednesday Adams? What was it? It was a news report saying that Finn Jones would welcome a return to the role of Iron Fist. I mean, I'm sure he would, but no one else would. <laughs> God, 
Finn Jones. No. I just imagine him sat there just watching like, ooh, ooh. Kingpin's back. Daredevil's back. Any moment now. That phone's gonna ring. So, is that it? Is that where we'll Yeah, I got one then. Wednesday can be our new number six. There we go. And I've even put season one because there's a good chance that season two might actually happen. Yes. Maybe without Percy Hines White. But season two looks good. Yeah, maybe it turns out that, oh, oh, Xavier was a shapeshifter as well, and now he looks a bit different. Yeah. Anyway, I think that probably about does it for us. Indeed. So, if you want to listen to more, you can find all our episodes on the feed or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you subscribe to the show, you'll make sure you never miss an episode. If you want to get in touch, our email is beholdpod at gmail.com or you can follow us on Twitter at beholdpod. And if you're a fan, we'd really appreciate it if you left us a review on your podcast app of choice or recommended us to a friend. It's the best way for us to grow as a show and reach new listeners. And that's everything. So until next time, I've been Andrew. And I've been Mick. So long and thanks for listening.